Welcome to the Crisis Ability Podcast, where we bring you fascinating discussions around the topic of finding possibility amidst crisis. Crisis Ability is brought to you by Devry BV Sustainable Strategies in collaboration with Intercepting Horizons and the Co-Roundtable for Moral Capitalism. Crisis Ability is hosted by Devry Buchner Vorwerk, founder and CEO of Devry BV Sustainable Strategies, Michael Wright, founder and partner at Intercepting Horizons, and Steve Young, Global Executive Director at the Co-Roundtable for Moral Capitalism. Also joining us this week as a special guest host is Joanna Mendelson-Foreman, Professor at the School of International Service and Distinguished Fellow at the Stimson Center. Hi, I'm Devry Buchner-Vorwerk. Hi, I'm Johanna Mendelson-Foreman. Hi, I'm Steve Young. And I'm Michael Wright. And welcome to Crisis Ability, a podcast where we explore the intersection between crisis and possibility, where we've highlighted leaders and conversations around the notion of finding possibility in the middle of some very big crises. And today we are honored to have uh, Tara Sonnenshine, who is the former Undersecretary of State, has served in the White House in her career, has won 10 Emmys for her writing, and she is currently the Distinguished Fellow at the George Washington University of School in Media and Public Affairs. She is a mentor to many who are on the front lines communicating in the middle of crises or not. And she is here today to discuss a crisis that we are all facing. It's a timely moment here in the United States. And we're going to talk to Tara about um, our upcoming election, which is next week on November 3rd, a Tuesday for those of us who are watching globally. Um, it's It's the first Tuesday in November. And we're going to talk this morning, Tara, with you about your views and perspectives on what's happening at the moment as it relates to exercising our democracy here in the United States. We're honored to have you, and um, we'll go ahead and get started with Joanna starting the round of, of questions. Good morning, and thank you for being here. You know, Tara, we've talked about how democracy is on the ballot at this election, but something that you've written about in the last few weeks is the potential for violence. And one thing we know is that democracies don't solve the disputes through violence. So perhaps we could talk a little bit about what the threats you see are, but what the potential is to resolve them in a way where a loser can walk away without killing somebody else. Right, very important question and good morning and thank you to all four of you. We always want to find in the crisis, as you do, something uplifting, some um, way to get people to um, not react quickly under stress. And of course, we all know the body has mechanisms that we we fight, we flee. And so when panic sets in or nervousness, um, people tend to lash out or act out. And unfortunately, we all recognize that the coronavirus Um, has put a lot of people on edge in terms of voting in person. There's been a lot of mail-in vote. There's been an attempt to scare people around um, the credibility of these elections. So all of that is a witch's brew when it comes to what should be an ordinary day where you you go and you you vote and you turn on um, whatever... um, podcast or station you want, you you wait for the results and you find out who your president is. Well, going into this one, the importance is educating the public that 
this may not be like any election we've ever seen. And to go into this, not in a sense of being shocked if there's not a result immediately or shocked if there are challenges to the count, but to go in with some very old fashioned principles, patience, Hmm. long, long evening. And the second is process. Americans have to come back to the notion that democracy lives because it has a process. It's not a chaotic system. And if we, as Americans, can come back to the idea that process and patience, um, we may be able to get through. I do think there will be limited pockets of people who try to take advantage of the chaos or intimidate people. I'm comfortable now that there's a plan in place with local enforcement and state officials on how to contain those violent episodes so they don't become nationalized, mm-hmm. politicized. Um, so that's those are some of the issues I've been working on, working with different groups and thinking about. I, I wonder if we couldn't go back a bit in history based on the notion of patience and process and talk about the situation um, with Gore v. Bush um, or the election with Gore versus Bush, Um, many of us remember that. And if we we hearken back to that moment, we had to have patience and we had to trust process. What do you see was different as it related to how we collectively as Americans reacted versus what, what we might be seeing now? It's a very good question. I mean, the hanging chad seems so far away yeah. now. We, we sort of smile at remembering all the turmoil um, over the recount there. Um, a few things have changed in a positive way. Election security has been bolstered far more, particularly in the state of Florida. And I'm very grateful that a lot of the businesses and philanthropies have stepped up over the last few years to supplement the gaps in funding from the Hill for election security. So I think our systems are tighter. Um, the Supreme Court, we what we have to really hope is that we're not taking this all the way, frankly, to the mm-hmm. Supreme Court in this moment, that we've learned how to contain these crises, how to debate, counts at a local level that the state secretaries and the legislatures and the governors will be able to open the mail and to use their readers to um, quickly scan that counting is already going on, that so much voting has happened. Um, But we do have that example to show us that if something were very close or disputed, Um, In this case, I think there would be mechanisms short of that on the House side. Um, But part of this is reconciliation. Um, We had a graceful loser in that situation. Mm. Mm. We had somebody willing to accept the decision. So we have a lot of new factors. We probably had foreign influences and foreign actors in that election, but not to this degree. Social media was not as mature as it is in this situation. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful we don't have a repeat of that. Um, but I think we have to go in now, as I say, in a 
a, a way of being much more tolerant of process. Um, and that should be the message over the next week or so to lower expectations that this is gonna be quick or clean or clear um, and that there are lawyers, armies of them on hand to try to respond to challenges. I think there's a challenge that is different. Um, what's changed in synchronous communications and the voice of the tribes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they can get out ahead of the news cycle, um, they can in some cases dominate it and change it. So the challenge, and I like to understand your response to this question, which is how do we um, take time to reflect when the news cycle is almost instantaneous? How do we take time to understand the information that's being thrown at us at speeds that we've never had as humans around the globe in right. milliseconds. Right. Um, well, that to me can yeah. light the tribes on fire. That is not gonna be an overnight solution as you know. I think over time when we go through the healing process after this election, um, we're gonna to have to take a, a relook at technology and the degree to which we need to rein in some of its capabilities without taking away the improvements that it brings, but we're gonna to have to put some guardrails up um, so that we are not in a constant pinging to no end. Um, the greatest job we have when this is all over is to begin to rebuild trust in institutions, including the media, including science, including government, including the Congress. Um, if we don't trust anything in anyone, then no facts exist. So we have a long, long way to go to address some of the forces, both good and evil, that have come upon us. Um, and a lot of it's going to be whether we can create these dialogues at the community level that I may disagree with you, but I can disagree agreeably. I want to live peacefully in my neighborhood with you. Um, I want my grandchildren and children to grow up and be able to breathe the air, and be able to exercise their right to vote and be able to live their lives at a level of income commensurate with their skills. None of this is gonna be decided in the next week. What will be decided in the next week is whether we get a clean slate and a second try at it. Yeah. A second try to take this baby of democracy and re-hold it and re-raise it, um, that's what we'll know. Wow. So Tara, I'd like to um, ask you to reflect a bit on your experience with the Institute of Peace because I am not optimistic. Um, and what, what bothers me, I, I, have, I have contacts, I would say even friends on both sides. And we're in the middle of a class war. Um, and it's been, it started about 50 years ago, I think, around, around the Vietnam War with the members of the current elite uh, George W. Bush, Billy Clinton, they did not serve. The people who were drafted were, have, we now call them the deplorables. And it's just sort of gotten, it's, it's, it's very bad. You see references now parallels to the election of 1860, where, where the, 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 the mistrust of two sides was so deep uh, that, that they, couldn't, they couldn't put it back together again. And 
frankly, I mean, my experiences in Vietnam and Thailand and other countries we read in the press that there's something about the human species that, that, that when you see, when Michael used the word tribalism, once I define you as, as, a, as a member of another tribe, uh, building peace is arduous. Well, I will tell you that I've seen um, examples. I spent a lot of time in South Africa during my ABC years in a very tribal setting um, with Nelson Mandela in jail, with um, light-skinned, dark-skinned, uh, white um, South Africans, very nativist, very tribal, um, a lot of violence, a lot of poverty, income inequality. It was very much a lab experiment for everything. And um, having been part of and been there the day he was released, having watched him take the oath of the presidency, having seen his behavior in the aftermath. Now, not everyone can be Nelson Mandela, but the situation called for great humanity and grace from the leadership. He set the tone when he came out. He was not angry and resentful for the 26 years he lost. He was willing to roll up his sleeves and say, well, now what can I do to work with my white Afrikaners to rebuild South Africa? What can I do to address the Sowetos and the townships? So I think out of misery, out of the worst nativism, tribalism, um, human beings do rise and take leadership positions and they tend to galvanize people and renew in them a spirit and a sense of um, shared humanity. So I am going to look for the better angels after this election. I just, I cannot um, in good faith, especially during a pandemic, give in every day to the temptation to say there's, there's nothing to hold on to. Faith, for some of us, in my case, the Jewish faith, communities that come together, friendships that endure, families that bring joy, um, whatever your higher purpose is, I think there's always an opportunity to silence the dissenters, in this case, those who descend into violence, and to say, nope, this is just not the way we want to live. But it does mean a voice at the top with moral credibility and, and then a long period of regrouping. Tara, my, my impression of, of Steve's question and response is, um, is that as individuals, we get to choose. We get to choose whether um, we go down the road of you know, fear, anxiety, division, or we get to choose um, going down the road of the words I've just written down in our conversation that you've said around patience, process, humanity, grace, faith, community. Um, families. Those are all things that bring us together as a society. And I'm interested, given your long history of communications, um, what, what do we do? Um, how do we communicate that um, right. and scale that communication? Michael often talks about scaling. How do we scale the message that you're bringing to us this morning in a way that we work ourselves as through this crisis as you know, a possibility um, to be that society. 
Well, let me give you some some concrete things that are being done in the next few days to reinforce on the public diplomacy side this sense of calming people down. Um, Dick Gephardt, some of you will remember, and Tim Romer and others have just completed a round of fundraising there at about $13 million to roll out some ads in swing states on election night. Um, and their messages of patience, it's a bipartisan, by the way, group that has been put together called the National Council on Electoral Integrity. Mm. And they've been working very quietly to put together um, people from both sides. A lot of people on the Republican side took a while to join this effort, but it really is one of the many efforts, um, Fair Fight and others, there is something, um, there'll be a celebration of heroes, poll workers being heroes. There's another effort um, called, I think, the Better Angels or some other group. But a lot of groups are springing up. I mean, this one is former senior members of Congress going taking to the airwaves to say exactly what we've been saying. Hold on, folks. Let these people with gray hair who've seen a lot tell you to take this one step, let every vote be counted. Don't run out of your house and do something stupid. Um, now, you know, we can all be cynical and say, yeah, but the people who are ready to do that aren't watching. Guidance from the FBI and local police, this group has been working with governors and secretaries of state and local police to say, let's game out the scenarios. How do we contain this situation where someone has brought guns to the polling place. So I think there are a lot of people thinking about this um, and trying to be in a position. There's one group talking with the networks about not calling states too quickly, about having the anchors explain over and over again. There were mail-in votes that we have to get through. There's a virus. So I think I hope it, it lifts your spirits to know that there are a lot of good people out there thinking this through and planning to deliver some good public messaging. Thank you. And um, we have come to the end of our time. So I would like to ask Joanna to make some final questions and comments, and then Tara will give you the last word. Well, Tara, thank you. As always, you have a very measured perspective on what's going on, because I think people are gen generally afraid of what is going to happen. And if these efforts, and I know some of them, but I don't know all of them are going to take place, I feel more optimistic as we come to this end of conversation that there is possibility out of this crisis. And you mentioned one thing that's very important, the community. I think we take for granted how important our neighbors and our networks within our own neighborhoods are. And focusing on those, just helping people, helping them get to the polls. I know a doctor who's one of the busiest surgeons who's taking the day off and risking his life to drive people to the polls. So I think there's that commitment to pursue a democratic future. So Debrie, I mean, I'm thanking all my colleagues for wonderful questions and for your time. And I'll turn it over to my host. Tara, any, any final words before we, we... I would just leave you with the quote we know, blessed are the peacemakers, 
Mm-hmm. And let us all be uh, champions of a peaceful election. And therein lies the possibility. Spread peace. Tara, thank you very much. It, Tara Sonnenschein, who is currently a senior fellow, a distinguished fellow at the George Washington University of School, um, George Washington University School of Media and Public Affairs. It's been an honor, Tara. Thank you for what you're doing to spread the message of peace. And um, we we will we will wait and see. And we will we will focus on process and being patient. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Crisis Ability. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Crisis Ability. Crisis Ability is produced by Eric Sandy and proudly presented by Devry BV Sustainable Strategies. At Devry BV Sustainable Strategies, we believe in inspiring businesses to courageously serve humanity. We do this by integrating sustainability into your business strategy, helping your organization to bridge the gap between intent and outcomes. Visit devrybv.com to learn more about how businesses can either react to change or inspire it.